This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 159 of the Dressage Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Equestrian Collection, the whole universe of equestrian shopping at your fingertips, and Draper Equine Therapy Products, made in the U.S. for you and your horse, and the New England Dressage Association. Reese Coffler Stanfield from Georgetown, Kentucky. And this is Kat Boydelock from Bolton, Massachusetts. And you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show. Well, Kat, welcome. I'm so excited to have you on my third show. Well, I'm excited to be here. And it's hard because I'm following up from Holly, who you had last week on the show, who was also a good friend of mine. And now I'm here and trying to fill in for all that. So thanks. Well, thanks for being here, and just so everybody knows, we're still uh, new. I'm still new here at the show and working on some technical difficulties, so um, I'm working on a new computer, so my computer is really old and doesn't deal with the um, recording equipment very well, so I'm still on a cell phone, so we're working on the technical issues, so uh, bear with us a little bit, but um, Kat, yes, tell us a little bit about yourself and and what you do for a living and your uh, kind of involvement with the horse world. Well, most people know me through Draper Therapies. I am their product manager and basically their Swiss Army knife. So I am the person who answers the phone calls for customer service, ships all the orders out, and then I'm at all of the shows and events all over the country. So it's a really great opportunity for me to meet and be involved in the horse industry. But I got most of my background from I've always grown up with horses. My other passion is music and cooking, but I ended up saying when I went to college, I'm like, I'm going to go for horses. And I went to school at SUNY Morrisville, which is outside of Syracuse, New York in, you know, very cold weather, but um, originally from Buffalo. So that was nothing to me. Um, But I went to Morrisville and what was funny is, is I went there thinking I was going to go as a hunter jumper trainer and I ended up getting a degree in racehorse management, specifically in harness horses. So I've kind of been all over the place with, um, you know, what part of the horse industry I've been involved with. But since then, I've been able to kind of, you know, streamline it a little bit more and kind of focus, but also learn so much from all the other industries. So I've worked, you know, on the track. I used to have my trainers and driver's license for standard breads, but then I've gotten to work at places like Hilltop Farm, which has given me also a really great education in the dressage world and, you know, being a part of, you know, what being a barn manager is for a sport horse facility. So, and then I came to Massachusetts with Draper Therapy. So here I am. Wow. You really have been around the block in in a great way and, and know lots about the horse industry. And you also have a really interesting personal story that I read online. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, absolutely. So when I was at Hilltop Farm, which was probably five, a little over five years ago, um, I actually got diagnosed with cancer. And it is something I'm, you know, happy to talk about because what happened is, is so I went through the cancer. It was thyroid cancer to be specific. Um, it's one of the most treatable kinds of cancer. But when I was 22, I was diagnosed with it. And it's a very early age to get diagnosed with cancer. And especially when it's not something you really expect. Um, and it's not something genetically we knew was going to come across, you know, in our family or anything like that. So it was a really big shock for me. And it 
really changed my life in a good way. At the time, I thought it was the worst thing in the world, and it kind of was. But, you know, my family and my support group that I had around me was fantastic. And when I came to Draper, I was really starting my healing process at the time. And, you know, it, I my other passion, which I said was music, um, that really helped me find myself and kind of, you know, accept what had happened to me and get through that, which was really fantastic. So when I came to Draper, one of their things that they had always supported is community and giving back through philanthropy or donations or whatever, you know, to really be a part of what they are and what they support. So I was able to give back to a musician who had died from a very rare type of cancer. And now through some of the Draper therapy cells um, of specific products, we give back to, um, it's called the Adrenal Cancer Research Fund. So it's helping cure a very rare type of cancer. So now we give back to that. So it's kind of all gone full fold and it's been really fantastic. So I'm really happy to have taken something really ugly and turned it into something, you know, pretty beautiful, I think. So, oh, I agree. I thought, I thought it was a wonderful story and, and something I wanted to share. So now how did you get into dressage? Well, dressage has always been a part of my life, but just kind of comes and goes as being the forefront of what I'm really involved with. When I started with Hunter Jumpers, it seems like a lot of people, that's how they get into the horse industry is through Hunter Jumpers. And that's how I started. But I had gotten to a point where I really wanted to take it to the next level. So I started um, training with a dressage trainer and I learned the basics and I got to show, you know, all the time. And it was fantastic. When I went to school, it kind of took the back burner, but then I got to start a dressage group because we didn't have a dressage club or anything involved there. So I got a little bit more involved there and then I graduated, um, took a few years off, um, you know, going to different places and different parts of the industry. And then I came to Hilltop and that's really where I got thrown into the high level of dressage. At the time, Chris Hickey was there and he was going to the Pan Am Games and it was a really exciting time to be part of the background and see how it, you know, really evolves and what takes place behind the scenes to get a horse to that level. And then after I moved to Massachusetts, I have a housemate who is involved with the New England Dressage Association's board, and she asked me if I would be a part of it. And now I do all the marketing and PR for Nita. And what's fantastic is that now my education in dressage keeps growing exponentially, just being a part of all of you know, the great activities they put on, the seminars, the clinics, and all that. So, yeah, so that's how I'm involved with dressage now. Oh, that is that is great. And we'll be having a trainer tip from Anita Trainer this week. Is Am I correct on that? Yes, you are. It's going to be Heidi Jo Howard-Gill, and she's one of Anita Flextime instructors. So she's really fantastic, and she's going to be talking about continuing education and some of the stuff that Anita offers. No, I'm really looking forward to that. That sounds great. And we're also this week, we're going to review Gladstone with um, Jessica Ranshausen. Um, and Jessica has been around and, and been on several Olympic teams and chef to keeps. So she, uh, for several teams, she will be reviewing Gladstone the first week. Um, and also this week, we're going to have my dad on uh, to wish everybody, all the fathers out there, happy Father's Day. And um, I'm really excited to to have everybody uh, this week. So that's kind of what we have on tap for the show this week. Well, and I heard in the news this week that there's finally some bids for the 2018 World Equestrian Games. And even though it seems like it's forever away, you got to start planning pretty far in advance to start getting everything lined up and ready to go, don't you? You do. And I think there's some interesting cities. Um, we've got Wellington, we have Bromont, Vienna, 
Budapest, and Labette. So that should be, uh, those are an interesting group of cities. And um, I hope, uh, you know, that will, the bidding process kind of started, um, and we'll see what happens from from now on, see who, who the FEI chooses. Yeah. Well, it seems like there's a lot of politics that get involved in it, too. And I'm sure money is a big option and seeing, you know, who's going to be able to fund something like this, because most of those places aren't set up already to be able to hold something like this. So there's a lot that has to go on and, you know, the city that is being held. And there's so much that's involved. You don't even realize it. But when they plan this far in advance, that really means there's a lot going on with it. There is. And, and I have to be honest, I did my internship for graduate school uh, at the Kentucky Horse Park and help put together the bid for the 2010 games, actually. And one of the things that we did, and um, it really, it's a very intensive process and um, could be, uh, you know, it takes a long time, takes a lot of people and a lot of planning uh, because the economic impact is uh, huge for cities. And it was, I think, $280 million for Lexington. So, uh, you know, going through it, working at the horse park, and then kind of living through the games here in Lexington, uh, it means a lot for cities, and it's been a great, great thing for Lexington, and uh, the horse park now is a totally different different place. So, um, yeah. But I'm really excited this week about uh, Gladstone, our Gladstone re- review with Jessica. And, uh, Kat, could you tell us a little bit more about Draper Equine? Well, basically, Draper Therapies is a therapeutic product company for horses, dogs, and humans. And one of our things that we love to push is that everything is made in the United States of America. So it's, you know, pushing that American jobs and manufacturing and really trying to keep, you know, stuff here, which is fantastic. So um, we're using a fiber called salient, and salient is crushed minerals that are embedded within a polyester fiber. So the beauty of that is, is it's um, woven or knit into fabrics that we then put into all of our products. And it never washes out of products. Um, so you can wash it, you can dry it, which is really unique for a therapeutic product. So it's very low maintenance. And then the benefits are exponential. It's really awesome what this thing, you know, all of the products can do. But if you look at salient.com, which is spelled C-E, L-L-I-A-N-T.com. Um, there's all the studies. So when we say that it helps reduce pain, balance body temperature, or just helps your overall health and wellness, we can prove a lot of what's being said, which is fantastic. And it you know, really gives you the scientific data behind the products. So it says a lot for them. Um, and you know, because we're made in the U.S., I always encourage people, if you're in the New England area ever, always come by we're happy to give you a tour and show you things firsthand because it's really great when you can touch and feel. And the other part about our mill in Massachusetts is that we make all the fabrics that go into it. So I can always give you a tour around there too and walk you through and see how the whole process happens, which is pretty awesome. For our listeners, if you want to check us out online, please feel free to visit us at drapertherapies.com or email me at cat at drapertherapies.com. So I'm excited um, this week for our review of the first week at Gladstone to have Jessica Ranshausen, who is a multiple uh, multiple Olympian, chef to keep to several teams in the, in the USDS Hall of Fame, and she's going to review Gladstone. Jessica, thank you so much for coming on the show. We're honored to have you. Well, honey, I have to say that you and I go back a very long time. And when you called me up and you asked me if I would do this, I was more than happy to uh, to comply. So here we are. 
Well, thank you so much. So, Jess, we're really excited to have you review the first weekend of the selection trials for London. So, Ken, Mm -hmm. how can you get it started? Well, first of all, um, it's very interesting that we have an unusual uh, selection procedure. And it dates back, this selection procedure of having two weekends dates back to 1988 when we had we tried it for the first time and there was a lot of discussion about whether it was a good idea or not a good idea and some of the riders said oh yeah but you only ride uh those three days at the olympic games you don't have to ride you know two two weekends but we felt uh not only the uset but also some of the riders like robert dover felt that we needed to have on the team, those people who were really able to sustain good scores over those two weekends. And in the very beginning, um, we had a couple of people who were looking rather good on the first weekend in 1988, and then they rode their horses to death all week, and on the second weekend, it was a disaster. So uh, that sort of solidified in our minds that this that we were working toward and thinking about was really uh, probably a very good idea. So we've kept it on the two weekends now ever since. And so we've been through the first weekend, and, um, of course, Stefan was, uh, did very, very well with a 96.064% um, uh, in the Grand Prix. And... Um, and that I was not at all surprised about because even though this isn't his big time horse, Ravel, this is a very very nice horse, and um, he's such a special rider. Um, I had Stefan. I was chefing the team when Stefan rode in his first Olympic Games in um, in Ath- rather in in Atlanta, and it was really cute because we we got together. Uh, a year and a half ago and uh, at a party. And um, I said to Stefan, you know, really, when you think back, you were such a beginner in all of this international stuff. And since then, you have just blossomed. And I'm so proud to think that the last chefing experience I had was with Stefan at, in Aachen in 2009. And he, and this is the first time, that American rider won all three of the tests in Aachen, Germany. And I, way back in 1959, I won a class and was second in the Grand Prix and a few things that were very nice. But this was a really wonderful achievement, and I was so happy to be there. A little sort of background on Stefan, and then we had, next was Tina Konyat with Collecto 5, and I think he's become more steady, and um, she's very clever. She is a very clever, clear-thinking rider, and I really like how she presents herself under pressure. And uh, her 72.787% was a true uh, reading of how the horse is going. And... um, I just think that now she's had experience at the WEG, and, uh, you know, she's ready for, for the Olympics. 
And then we had Todd Fletrich, and you know, we ca- I called Todd Toady because he <laughs> lived with us for eight years, and I took him to Young Riders, and he was a gold medal Young Rider in 19, I think it was 1990, actually. And um, so anyway, we've had a very close, wonderful relationship um, most of his life. And he... Um, and what I love is this horse has such a, I said at the, at the trials for the WEG, I said, this is a horse that can give you a lesson in how Piaf and Passage should be ridden. And um, I think not as much in the Grand Prix, but certainly in the special, he just was a shining star. And uh, I thought that was great. So I think Todd, with his experience abroad, he's done very well abroad. I think he's um, really somebody you can count on to give good, consistent rides, and that's very, very important. And you want me to go further? <laughs> yeah, that would be great. Because Jess, I'd love to hear kind of the fourth spot and and down. Isn't that that's really kind of a, a great area? I think the top three were were very very good and solid this weekend. How about the next kind of group uh, for the alternate and the fourth spot? Well, you have to remember. First of all, you have to remember. Uh, Jan has really come very far with Rafalka, and if I I saw him and wrote and and judged him a lot in the past and also had him with us in the world cup at the world cup when it was in Las Vegas. And the horse was at that time a little bit unsteady. She could be quite brilliant at things. And then she would maybe be a little bit weak in some of her parts of the test and so forth. And I think she's come a long way and I think she has become, and he's now been riding in Europe. And I think that she's, uh, you know, really showing up to be a much steadier, a much better uh, performer than we originally thought was going to be possible. So uh, that's an eye opener for me, in a way, um, in a in a very positive, good good way. And then we have Adrian Lyle, and I love Adrian. She is a wonderful girl. And she has, and, and, and the scores don't really show uh, what she is able to do. And I think maybe the first time to the Olympic trials was a little bit, you know, off-putting for her. And she's still young. And, but I think she is one that would be, uh, depending on how she goes this weekend, we could have her even as an alternate and feel that she is going to be a shining star in the future and that we could uh, certainly in the future look forward to a very, very, very talented rider in this girl. So uh, I think Wizard was a little bit up and down in this particular weekend and um, didn't show quite as as well as he could. Uh, certainly, the special with a seventy one point five eight seven eight percent is um, n- not as good as he can be. But I think having both a seventy in the pre Saint George seventy point five five. No, wait a minute. She was seventy point four six eight percent, and then a seventy one in the special. Um, gives you the feeling that there's a lot in there that's still to come. 
And that is very exciting, I think. And then we have Ginter, who is, of course, a, a fine Olympic rider, has in the past. Uh, goodness, I've chefed him a lot. And um, Gunter was one of these riders that I would say, okay, you guys, we have ring number five tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. And so we're all supposed to show up there. And I hope I'll see you there. And Gunter would not be there. And I would go all over the place looking for him. And then I would find him in the general arena in the indoor this is in Atlanta, and I would find him in there, and I'd say, Gunter, what are you doing in here? And he said, well, I wanted to ride in here. And I said, but why didn't you tell me? And he said, because this is an open ring, and I just understood everybody could ride in here. So that was Gunter. So anyway, <laughs> he is back, coming back, and it will be interesting to see how this horse develops. And... um you know, all the more power to him. Uh, he certainly can handle the training part and making the horse better, and uh, and we want to see it happen. And then we have Heather Blitz, who was the former owner of Auto, or the former rider of Auto, I should say, and um, she is certainly is a talent herself. And Paragon is quite an amazing horse. He is a huge mover. And I have to say, um, I saw her in Florida earlier this year, and I was very impressed with the way he was going. But I also think that this huge movement that he has is very difficult to contain. And it's not only difficult to contain, but it's also difficult to keep that horse working properly over his back. And so some of the time he's a little high in his carriage and isn't exactly what you'd call, you know, the typical on-the-bit look. And uh, she, Heather, and I'm not sure if she does that, she rises up a little bit out of the saddle, and I wonder if it's because she doesn't want to put pressure on his back or too much pressure on his back or just what. But to me, the horse is um, still very green to the level and needs time and probably could be and maybe will be a very, very brilliant horse. But I think it's a bit tricky. I, I, I'm not so sure that that's all so easy. So anyway, that was that. And then we had, of course... No, Jess, I was also excited to hear about the para. Didn't you also just come back from the para selection trials? How did that, oh, yeah. how did that go? Talk that is just very exciting. It's very exciting because our wonderful Becca, who has been riding with us here at at our training place, our farm, um, just won. Uh, she was champion overall champion with a 73.501% uh, today. And um, she will be the leader of the team going to London because she had in the team test, she had 71.8. She had in the individual test, she had 73.968%. And in the freestyle, she had 75917 so this girl has been on the Olympic team before, or the Paralympic team before, 
and will do so again. And I'm a little proud because she's riding um, Lord Ludger, which is my horse. So it's fun. That is and so then we had Jonathan Wentz uh, with Richter Scale, and he is the um, reserve champion. And with his scores of uh, in the team test 72.500%, an individual score of 72.899%, and a freestyle score of 74.83 came out with a 73.126%. And so he will also be on our Paralympic team. And then we had Donna Panessa on this Western Rose horse that she owns. Or I'm not sure that she owns it. I think she rides it for somebody else. But anyway, on this uh, Western Rose horse, she had a 73.725 in her team test, 72.00 in her individual test, and 73.833 percent in her freestyle and came out with a 73.057 now if you will just notice it's all these um all of these numbers are very very close and so it's nice to think that in the first time for an olympic trial a paralympic trial we have three riders that are all 73 percent and their combined total that's really amazing. Yeah, I'm, I'm so excited. I, they really, uh, Becca Hart, Rebecca Hart is, is a wonderful person, and I'm really excited. I hope she'll come on next week because we'd like to hear from her as national champion, and we can't be, you know, more excited for her. She is really a wonderful person inside and out, and uh, I just can't uh, thank you enough, Jess, for coming and t- talking to us about both. Uh, the Grand Prix selection trials and the para. Uh, it's going to be really fun to see what happens next week in the Grand Prix. And oh, uh, yeah. you'll come back again in the, to our show. You were just an amazing guest. Oh, sure. Now, before we get to Heidi Jo Horry-Gill of the New England Dressage Association, we'd like to go ahead and present you with a commercial from one of our sponsors, Equestrian Collections. Hi, Glenn, back with you from the Horse Radio Network. I'm here with Debbie with the Equestrian Collections Product of the Week. This week I want to talk about the Tough Rider Ladies Starter Back Zip Field Boots. That's a lot of words to say the starter field boots. These have been around a while, but these new ones, I'm telling you, I saw some the other day that you cannot tell them from leather. They just look exactly like leather. And for the price, we're talking, I mean, you know, $75 for a pair of tall boots. And the sizes are very generous as well. So if you're looking for a starter boot, one for trail riding or one if you're not quite sure what you want to move forward into the more Or for teenagers that are still growing at about two inches a day. Yeah, these boots are amazing. They just look exactly like leather boots. And also, we also have them in children's sizes. Excuse me, and we also have them in paddock. But I'm featuring the field boots because I was just amazed, just amazed when I saw them. Now, there's a size chart on the website because that's always a tough thing with uh, tall boots is the calf sizes and everything. It is. Now, the way you measure for tall boots, you measure around the widest part of your calf, and it's important that you have the riding pants and socks on that you will be wearing with your tall boots to get an accurate size measurement. So be sure and measure that, and this particular boot has more generous sizings than I have seen in any kind of synthetic boot. So 
So if you're looking for a nice, easy field starter boot for whatever reason, or if you want them for trail riding, this is an excellent one to look at. All for under 75 bucks, and you can find it at yes. equestriancollections.com. Just search for Tough Rider Lady Starter Back Zip Field Boot. Well, hi, Heidi. Welcome to the show. Hi, Kat. Thank you very much. Well, thank you for joining us. Now, it sounds like today you're going to talk to us about continuing education. And I think what we thought about what would be really fun for our listeners is kind of talking a little bit more on what continuing education might mean for the professional, what it might mean for the dressage enthusiast, and what it might mean for the amateur rider. So can you tell us a little bit more about what continuing education programs are available for professionals that are in the industry? Super. There's um, a number of really great programs right now that are available, especially through uh, the USDF. One of them that is directly for instructors, you know, to become better instructors is the USDF Instructors Certification. It's such a great program because it feels to me like it's turning out students, I mean, uh, professionals who will teach with a very methodical process. So if you go to a trainer who is USDF certified, you know that you're getting your training based on the process that is um, that the USDF is excited to present to everybody. So that's kind of the best thing when it comes to being an instructor in continuing your education. First of all, doing the program and then participating in the instructors' forums that happen, uh, you know, throughout the, the country after that happens. Another thing that I'm doing that I'm really excited about is Jane Savoy is having an, um, a new uh, teaching of her methods of, of training. And I'm so excited about that because I have been a student of hers for um, quite a while, and her method is so reliable. It's very easy to understand. It's very methodical. And she's going to start doing this um, instructor's certifying type, uh, you know, seminar type thing where people get trained to teach like she does. So I think that's another really great way for an instructor to get um, some good help. Heidi, this is me. And and I was just, you know, wondering, as I am a certified instructor, and, it, and it's a very, very difficult exam to pass. You certainly have several different uh, methods and, and different workshops that you take. But as a professional, don't you feel like it's also really important to take clinics for yourself and lessons for yourself? I think we get bogged down in, in our students, but don't actually take time to do that. How do you feel about uh, clinics and lessons yourself? Oh, my gosh, clinics and, and lessons. You know, I take regular lessons myself as a trainer, and sometimes when I'll tell um, a new student uh, that I'm off to a lesson myself, they look at me a little bit like, you know, maybe I don't know enough about what's going on, and it just makes me smile because what really that means is that not only do I can I help you with where you are, but it's important to me to not only continue my own education and, and become a better writer myself, but even have a stronger grasp about what it is that I'm teaching. And, you know, I have to say that in um, regular lessons, you know, I, I come back so fresh and so excited about what I'm doing. Um, and then if I go to clinics, which I love to participate in clinics, because I get some outside information from people who, um, you know, don't generally see what I'm doing, 
they have a little review of my training process, and then they can give me some real good pointers about, you know, ways that I would enhance that. And then, again, when I come back to teach my students, if I have some new idea that I've gained from the clinic, then I can modify that for their level and take it so that they're actually getting benefit from that clinic itself. It it really makes such a spark in the farm when it comes to training and stuff. Um, just that absolute participation in different clinics with people, you know, different people around the country that we have to ride with. Now, Heidi, do you recommend the same clinics and seminars to your students as well? All of my students um, do come to, we do have a, like a, you know, a planning session in the beginning of the year. We look at the different clinics that are available and we make a determination based on that what, and based on that and their budget, what, where we're going to direct them. Um, I feel like if I have, I do a lot with junior riders as well as adult amateur riders, and I feel like there are some clinicians who may be more um, suited for one, you know, juniors or adult amateurs. I also feel like there's different clinics or different um, students have different needs that maybe a different type of clinician could offer. So when we're planning, making their plans, we're basing that on um, their own individual needs and what, you know, how I feel like that clinician can help. The other thing that's important is that when I go to clinics, I don't necessarily bring my students to the same clinics that I participate in because, you know, there's so many, I, I like to keep my um, clinics sort of catered to their ability. And so I try not to put them in with a trainer who might do too much, um, more advanced stuff for them. And I try to, so I try to find clinicians who are um, going to be, you know, who are used to teaching the riders of their level and their ability. Does that make sense? No, I think that's a really good good thing because um, I think Heidi, when you, when as an instructor, I think it's important, um, you know, to look at your clinics and and get someone that thinks similarly similarly to the way that you think because um, I think it can be confusing sometimes for for people with clinics. So I think that's a really good way to kind of pick and choose um, what type of clinics that you want to take. I think that's a great way to do it. Absolutely. I can't say enough about the importance of the trainer um, that's, you know, when I send my students to to clinics, I will always try to go with them. I try to know before my student even signs up for it, how this particular trainer teaches. Um, if I don't know, then I might specify that to the, to the rider and I might make an effort to get out to see this trainer teach at some point. Um, and then the other part that I think is so important after the clinic is to get together again, maybe on our next lesson and review kind of what they went away from the clinic feeling, um, and what I went away from the clinic feeling for them, because it's that review, I think, that takes the process of the things that they started to learn in the clinic or maybe have, you know, how many times have we sent a rider to a clinic and they come back and they say, oh my gosh, this rider, this clinician told me this incredible thing um, that maybe as a trainer I'd said to them a hundred times, but because the clinician brings a new set of vocabulary, a new way of introducing concepts, all that, they, um, they actually got the the message. I find that 
we can have the same thing also where a, a rider might come away hearing the clinician saying something one way and actually knowing because I was there watching that the clinician meant it in a different way. So we can, we can kind of, um, feel out what we, what we saw and what we learned at the clinic and then kind of, uh, customize it to this particular student, which is kind of a good thing. Well, great, Heidi. That's been a wonderful um, breadth of information. Um, we do want to talk a little bit about the Need of Flex Time program because that's also something that you're a part of. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit more about how you got involved and just kind of tell everybody, all of our listeners, what the Need of Flex Time program is? Oh, yeah, that's an awesome program. I think it's, first of all, so incredible when you have the quantity of really well-educated, you know, super quality trainers in one big list. <laughs> and you get to go through that list and you can just say, you know what, I think I want to ride with this person. And that person is donating their time to Nita um, in order to, you know, get these students to these people so that they're, cause they're getting to them at an affordable price, a, a very affordable price. And the the list is so diverse and so vast of trainers that really you could say, okay, I'm a rider at this level studying these type of things. Who should I ride with? Um, and you can go right through all the bios and get a good idea of what these, what these individual trainers do, what they're looking for, who they're really excited to help. I mean, this program, I, I just love it. Well, that's awesome that you've gotten to be a part of all of that. I mean, NIDA has been, now this is their 40th year they're celebrating this year. And for those of our listeners who don't know what NIDA is, NIDA is the New England Dressage Association. You can find them at www.nida.org. And they're all about pushing excellence in dressage community and education. So we're happy that, you know, Heidi and all the other great trainers are a part of the New England Dressage Association and Heidi, thank you so much for joining us today. So, Matt, our next, our next guest is actually going to be my dad. Uh, I wanted to bring my dad on in honor of all the dads for Father's Day this week. Well, Dad, happy Father's Day. Thank you so much for coming on to the show tonight. Well, thanks, Reese. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, I think the biggest question out there is what are some things that you would give advice to as a as a boy from Brooklyn that had never had any animals to owning a farm and two girls that uh, rode through, uh, through the whole system of USDS and all the way to the USDT level, what are some things that you would suggest to, to horsey dads? Well, it's, um, it, it, it's a question that goes a, a long way back. And um, I think that the, the, best, uh, the best way to kind of explain or maybe give some advice would be to uh, just say to embrace um, the, uh, the the whole horse experience uh, as best as you can. It wasn't so easy for me because I really didn't understand uh, this attachment that one has for a horse. It, uh, it wasn't uh, really something that was in my genes. Um, we didn't have a lot of horses in Brooklyn as far as I could remember. Um, but when I came to Kentucky, um, it was a decision that, uh, uh I being a professional, professional and ophthalmologist, um, I was busy doing my thing. Um, and I have to respect the fact that my wife, um, was very involved with the horses and had a special attachment with the horses. And uh, somehow that genetically went down to my daughters as well. Um, 
So once I, I kind of realized that um, there was no stopping this locomotive, um, and we went from uh, boarding um, at various different barns with various different trainers, um, and then we took the next big step, which was to move on to our own farm. Um, it was confusing to me. I, I didn't know the front end to the back end of a horse, and I certainly didn't know the front end and back end of a tractor, and I had to kind of learn all of that. Um, and I had to uh, be available as kind of the, the backup person um, to kind of help with the farm when uh, when, I, uh, when the workers didn't show up or the weather was really bad. Um, and I kind of gradually in, in, in enjoyed that. I, I kind of enjoy getting my hands dirty, and, and uh, that's very different from what I do at work as an ophthalmologist. Um, but was a pretty pretty nice thing to do uh, in the farm. Um, the, the other thing that I think is important in, in embracing the whole situation is to kind of learn a little bit about the sport. You know, I knew a lot about tennis and basketball, but I knew nothing about dressage. Um, and I felt like if my girls were going to be doing this sport, and I wanted to kind of be involved and be involved in their lives and, and be involved in this special hobby of theirs. And, um, so I tried to listen as much as I could. I tried to show up to as many of the shows that I could, uh, and to better enjoy what was going on in the shows. Um, I, I would listen to some tapes here and there, and I would try to gather as much information as, as I could with the amount of time that I had to do that. But I think it's important as a, as a, um, uh, horse dad, um, is to kind of uh, learn as much. The thing that I, one of the things I really enjoyed was to get out in the barn when the veterinarian came, because um, I obviously was interested in, in in the human body as an MD, but you know the horse anatomy was so different, and I thought it um, would be fun to kind of be out there. So every time I could, I would run out when the vet was there and watch the horses being blocked down and try to figure out. Which which side was the lame side, and which part was was the uh, the ligament or the tendon that was inflamed, and um, that became a lot of fun for me. Um, and he always came during a, dinner, right? He always it, came during it, dinner. We had a vet who can almost smell dinner. Yeah. Uh, so um, we knew that if we sat down, if we were waiting for the vet, the best thing for us to do was to sit down and have dinner, for, because for sure he would show up at that time. Every time. It was like clockwork. Yeah, just like clockwork. Um, Bruce, I have a question for you. Sure. What are some of the things that kind of keep you happy? Because you got kind of thrown into this. Like, did you bond with other dads and other horse husbands when you were at shows and, you know, out with the horses? Well, um, both. Um, I would say I really enjoyed being around my family and spending some extra time. Um, I, I enjoyed kind of grooming um, was probably the, the best I could do for them uh, was to maybe take the horse uh, from them and take it for a walk when they were just hot and tired. And they said I was pretty good at shining shoes. And so I shined uh, some shoes along the way. Um, a lucky boot shiner every time. Lucky. That's right. Um, sometimes I would end up shining the wrong side of the boot which was a little bit of a problem when the horse had a black mark all over it. Um, but I learned to <laughs> try to get better at that. Um, 
you know, I think um, it was fun to meet other families and meet a whole other group of people outside of medicine for me um, that were involved in, in, in the horse world. And certainly here in Kentucky, that, that has been kind of a very fun fun part of, of the whole experience. Um, we got to know everybody from uh, the executive director of the USDF to um, people who were involved with the, the building of um, that uh, that structure at the horse park to the horse park people um, and to everybody else who kind of volunteered um, in uh, in different ways at different places. Um, I never thought I would end up for many years helping out um, at Phase D in, in Rolex uh, with my wife and and we did that and we did that as a family. So it, it certainly has led to a lot of different things for me and different experiences. So, Dad, what would you say your favorite memory would be from us riding? Well, there are a, a lot of different memories. I, I remember um, one year um, we were out. embarrassing one. Uh, well, <laughs> I knew you were get that in. <laughs> Come on, I got to. <laughs> I remember one year um, Reese was um, battling for a position at the Young Riders talent uh, 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 in Denver. And uh, they had gone um, with their horses in the van uh, as the grooms in the van. That's how we got them out there. And my wife and I, we kind of flew out there to to meet them. And uh, during the ride, it was a very, very hot day, 95 degrees or so. And and with all the excitement and and stuff, I was um, waiting for Reese to finish up her test. And you can see that she um, was a little wobbly and... um, um, became very pale and and just about fell right into my arms and I I just remember supporting her at that point in time as she came sliding off the horse at the end of the ride and um, I was I was glad I was there and it was a kind of one of the fond memories um, the other crazy memory I, I I remember was a Father's Day um, Reese you might recall this was up in uh, Northern Kentucky over oh, by yeah. uh, the Turfland Racetrack. Um, and I don't think that show exists anymore, but it had to be one of the hottest places on earth that I've ever <laughs> I think been. The it was barn, the hottest place on earth. That barn was 120 degrees, and all the fans did was blow more hot air at you. And we were so exhausted. Um, and then someone said, well, it's lunchtime. Where do we go? And we decided the closest place that was air conditioned. Um, <laughs> and I just remember us sitting and getting that first uh, drink of uh, – of uh, Coke or iced tea and, and just how good it was and, and just, uh, you know, how what a bonding experience that was that we had survived, you know, this uh, awful weather and uh, <laughs> very difficult show for both the horses and for us. That was, that was, I, I do have to say that's one of my favorite Father's Day memories and I can't believe you even came up to that show, but uh, that was a wonderful, a wonderful time. So dad, thanks so much for coming on the show tonight and, and thanks for not telling such an embarrassing story, but I was so glad when I almost fell off the horse in your arms in Colorado that you were there. And um, I hope that uh, every rider has a dad like you and uh, wonderful with the video camera and just always supportive. And so thanks again for coming on, Dad, and I hope it will not be so hot this Father's Day when we celebrate on Sunday. Well, um, I'm hoping the weather will be a little bit cooler. And uh, uh, Reese, thank you for uh, falling in my arms. I was uh, pleased to, uh, to catch you. And 
uh, to all the fathers out there, you know, happy Father's Day and uh, be a good groom. So, Kat, I don't know if you were able to watch uh, Gladstone last week on the USCF network, uh, but the coverage there is phenomenal. Oh, yeah, it's been fantastic. And even though I haven't been watching firsthand, I've really been checking out some of the dressage news websites really to stay in, you know, involved in what's going on. But you know what? I love Facebook. Facebook has been fantastic because there's people who have been there who are updating constantly to say who's getting what scores and all that's going on. And, you know, that's the fun part is, is almost sometimes like you feel like you're there because the photos and things that keep popping up. So it's really fun. And I'm definitely looking forward to, you know, the next couple of days and wrapping up Gladstone and seeing what's going to happen. Oh, I think it's going to be a really interesting weekend. And also this weekend at Gladstone, the small tour, the pre-St. George I-1 will go, uh, and also the Brentina Cup. So that's another yeah. kind of uh, champion, national championship to watch, uh, and we'll see the, who the champions are. Uh, but if you do go online uh, to USCF, they have a running score, and they also have a commentary. Uh, for example, Axel Steiner did the Grand Prix last weekend. So not only do you get to see the horses, but there's an educational component to it. So if you have time this weekend, I would encourage everyone to go there and to watch. Um, and it will be interesting to see, especially what, uh, what happens with Rafelka, who is owned by or personally owned by Mrs. Lomney. So uh, that will be really fun. And there are some uh, viral, viral things that happened today on Facebook. And I have definitely been chomping at the bit, you know, no pun intended, of course, to talk to you and all of our listeners about this because it literally hit, you know, my mailbox last night. I didn't look at it till this morning, but ever since this morning, it has been going crazy. And it is, it's, you know, if you belong to a political party, it's, you know, a little bit unfortunate because it might be offensive to some people, but it is absolutely a fantastic video and watching dressage go mainstream. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, I would, and uh, we're talking about Stephen Colbert's report on dressage, and we are going to play it for you, and I hope everyone gets a laugh out of it, uh, and I'm, I'm really excited, actually, that so many people are learning about our sport, actually, so I think we can put a really positive spin on it. Welcome to the report. Thank you for joining us, Nation. We all see the news. Last week's jobs report was miserable. The economy is not getting any better. Our relationship with nuclear Pakistan has never been more tense, and Europe is on the verge of collapse. And you know what that means? Things are looking up for Mitt Romney. <laughs> and folks, the old Romney luck continues. The Romneys might be going to the Olympics. A horse and Romney co-owns came in third in an Olympic qualifying event. The Romney's horse might go to the Olympics. <laughs> Though one would imagine it's going to be a long drive to London on top of their station wagon. Now, their horse, Rafalka, is competing at the United States Equestrian Federation National Dressage Championships in Gladstone, New Jersey. As if you don't know from your equestrian fantasy league. <laughs> Folks, this is exactly what Mitt needs. He's had a little trouble relating to Joe's six-pack. I mean, just listen to him talking about basketball. I met a guy yesterday, seven feet tall. I figured he had to be in sport, but he wasn't in sport. Yes. <laughs> the tall man was not in sport. 
neither bounce ball nor oblong leather zeppelin toss. But folks, the image of Romney as a privileged princeling ends today. Because now Mitt is just your average blue-collar fan of dressage. Of course, that word may sound highfalutin. But don't worry, it also goes by the street name Horse Ballet. Jim, show us Rafalka at sport. And folks, perfect hair, and folks, <laughs> lest you think the horse is doing all the work, Mitt picks the music himself. At this year's World Cup, he chose a selection of songs from the soundtrack to Rain Man. <laughs> Clearly, Mitt envies Rain Man's ability to connect with people. <laughs> folks, in support of Mitt Romney, I am making dressage the official Colbert Rapport sport of the summer. So, kids. So, kids, run out and get yourself a $100,000 Hanoverian and start pioffing to the soundtrack from Cocktail. I just get swept up. <laughs> so, Nation, sing it with me, the official seventh inning anthem of dressage. Take me out to the horse ring. Take me out to dressage. Buy me some jodhpurs and a velvet hat. I don't care if the orchestra's flat, let me softly clap for the home horp. If he don't win, he'll be glue, for it's one, two, but Voltaze, you're out at the United States Equestrian Federation National Dressage Championship in Glasgow, New Jersey. Play sports! And I hope everyone enjoyed our little clip there. What did you think, Kat? I really think I want to get some foam fingers and bring them to the next dressage show. But for some reason, I don't think that would go over very well. <laughs> I think all our horses will need to, you know, have some uh, desensitization. That's for sure. Absolutely. And for the listeners that don't know all about the foam finger, if you go online and just Google dressage and the Colbert Report, you'll absolutely see what we're talking about. We definitely encourage everybody to watch it firsthand. It's funny listening to it, but definitely much better watching the whole skit that happened. That's very true. And, you know, I, I hope uh, we don't have a lot of people offended, but I think uh, for us, any press is good press, as the saying goes, for dressage. And, and we have, you know, millions of people now who know a little bit more about our sport or will hopefully listen to our show, but also go to the other outlets uh, to learn a little bit more about dressage. 
and um, I hope that, that that will turn out to be a very good thing for us. I would agree, and I really hope that it brings more people to the shows and just gets people curious about what we have to offer in the world of dressage. Well, I would like to give uh, a new uh, listener, an enthusiastic listener, Marika Linderman, my email shout of the week. Uh, Marika came on, and she's a new listener to the show, and she really enjoyed it. Uh, and please feel free, uh, as a new co-host, I love uh, to hear some things uh, about the show, and you can always email me at reese at horseradionetwork.com. And uh, I look forward to hearing from people, and if you have any uh, suggestions on guests and those type of, of things, please let me know. So you can find our show notes and links to today's guests on the website at thedressageradioshow.com. Like us on Facebook, just search, just search for The Dressage Radio Show. You can also follow, follow us at Twitter at Horse Radio. My website is maplecrestfarmky.com and my email is reese at horseradionetwork.com. I would like to thank our sponsors um, for our show today, Equestrian Collections, the whole universe of equestrian shopping at your fingertips, Draper Equine Therapy Products, made in the USA for you and your horse, and the uh, New England Dressage Association for their trainer's tip and all the information from the Northeast. And Kat, thank you so much for being my co-host for the evening. Well, thank you. I had a blast. So, and thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. We look forward to having you next week where we'll be running down the para selection trials and talking with some of the newly crowned champions and also to uh, Timothy Lanshausen, who is not only Jessica's daughter, but she is... Uh, the coach to the para team and the team that's going for London has been selected. So we look forward to hearing more about para dressage next week.